This is Limit Up, the place where we explore markets, strategies, and trading psychology to take your trading to the next level. Hey traders, this is Eddie Horn from Top Step, and this is Limit Up. It's where we talk with traders, market participants, and trading psychologists to help you improve your trading. Now, this podcast is a very special podcast, and what we've done is we've split it into two parts. So I just want to let you know that uh, this is part one, and soon to follow will be part two. I'm joined today with Mick Ironimo, um, some dude I found on the street. Well, actually, he's Top Step Traders Risk Manager. Hello, Mick. Uh, hello, Eddie. Sometimes I can be found on the streets. <laughs> yes, me too, right next to you. Um, now, hey, thanks for being here today. Now, today, we're going to put a little spin on the podcast. On this interview, uh, Mick will be piloting the interview, and I will be sitting on as a guest in the coach section. Is it okay we've turned the tables on this podcast? Certainly, as long as it's not my dinner table. Fair enough. Okay. Now, Mick, uh, I'm really looking forward to hearing Linda, uh, who I highly respect in the trading world. It's really nice to have her on with us here on Limit Up. Now, how did you hook her for this interview? Well, I'll tell you about that. Um, first of all, Linda is very highly respected in the industry. Um, I have a lot of respect for her myself. Uh, I was able to ask her to come on for this interview because um, prior to working with Top Step Trader, I was working with Linda as her assistant um, and doing execution for her. Now, some of us are lucky to have such a gifted mentor like Linda as you did. Yes, very fortunate. Learned a lot from her. Um, she had years of market experience to teach me in a short amount of time. At least I had to learn it in a short amount of time. Did you have any prominent mentors, Eddie? Well, I was basically thrown into the fire on the trading floor. But the good thing about that is I had many, many mentors as I progressed, as I moved to different pits, different perspectives, different objectives. So I sort of all put those together and it made me the person I am today. That's nice. We were fortunate to be down there on the floor because there were a lot of smart traders that were more than willing to lend uh, lend a new person or uh, you know a beginner a helping hand on how to you know evaluate the markets and learn about this industry. Um, well, not everybody here listening was down on the floor no. so we're really excited to provide you know this opportunity for you guys cool. because we you know we really think highly of linda and she's got some good stuff to talk about so eddie may i mick you may all right then without further ado my interview with linda rashke hey that was pretty good <laughs> thank you here we go all right. Hey, traders. Welcome to this uh, this week's podcast. My name is Mick Ironimo. You may know me as your risk manager for the funded traders here. And I normally don't do interviews. We have Eddie for that. But today I'm doing an interview. We've got a very special guest we're lucky to have on, uh, Linda Rashke. And the reason um, that I'm going to be doing this interview with Linda is I had the privilege to work with her as her assistant for a couple years, uh, going back prior to my time starting here with Top Step Trader. So let's give every uh, let's have everybody give Linda a very warm welcome. And um, Linda, thank you so much for coming on. Hey, Mick, my pleasure. We we can reminisce about good old days. <laughs> yes, and there were a lot of those good old days. Um, nice to have you back in Chicago. I'm happy we got to uh, bump into each other right after the Trader Expo. You and your husband, Damon, swung by our happy hour, and that was that was a lot of fun. Great, yes. Well, thanks for coming on. I'm really excited to have you, and I'm sure our listeners out there are really excited. You're a very, very well-known trader in this industry, Futures, and um, we're lucky to have you, and I'm looking forward to picking your brain on a few things. Um, one of the things that I wanted to start talking to you about was um, your passion for the markets. Um, I know in order to be successful in this industry um, and to be good at what you're doing, speculating in the markets, you have to have a real deep passion and love what you do. Um, you are the shining example of this. There's very few people that I've come across that are as passionate and dedicated um, 
to these markets as you are. And um, I know this is a super competitive industry where you actually have to have that passion because if you don't, more dedicated people are going to take money from you, right? <laughs> it's a big, wide open field. So one thing I wanted to start with was um, your basically the work that you put in during the market and after the market. Um, I want to just say homework, homework, homework. You work your tail off. Um, I remember when we were sitting down in the office spending uh, time together after the markets would close, you would spend hours looking at the markets. And this is one of the things I, I really admired most about you. Um, can you walk us through a little bit of what you do um, to prepare yourself when the markets aren't open and what you're doing when you're sitting at your desk after the close? make it a point to go to the gym, I'd go ride the horse, stuff like that. But I do have a very specific ritual that you participated in every day, which started off with me uh, logging my numbers, which is simply writing down closing prices, as well as metrics for the day, such as the market's breadth and ticks and a few market internal indicators. Um, then I would print off a worksheet that had um, the previous day's high and low and close and some specific patterns I'd look at. And on that worksheet, I would write out uh, what I thought was going to be the play for the next day in about 22 futures markets. <laughs> and it sounds like a lot of work, but um, you would be surprised when you don't overthink things and just make your best guess, which is all that you're doing, um, and reduce it down to am I looking for a low to high day or a high to low day if there is odds of being able to detect the trend for the day or is there a breakout formation where I want to keep an open mind and we can move in a direction uh, in either direction or even have some whipsaw gyrations so I refrain from doing any longer-term forecasting other than just trying to get a game plan for the next day only. And um, that's pretty much it. I used to print off a grid of four charts, what I thought were the four best setups for the next day in different markets. So say, for example, I, I trade futures 99% of the time. I trade the ags, the metals, the currencies, the credit markets, the indices. So that gives you a good selection to choose from, the meats, the softs, that kind of stuff. And I might just pick four markets, perhaps the yen, the bonds, crude, and, and the S&Ps, if there was a good bias. And what you have to understand is maybe for each market, you get six choice 90% days, 90% trades by that, where you really have a high confidence factor of predicting the trend for the day. You get maybe six of those each month. If you are a trader that specializes in one market, such as the E-minis, mm -hmm. um, your homework could entail looking at specific levels such as if you're a market profile person perhaps concentrating on you know where are the volume nodes where might there be support or resistance from the previous day um, you know a little bit more nuances but a lot of things can change overnight so if you put too much time and energy into preparing a plan the next day um, it's pretty easy for 90% of your work to be uh, not valid the next morning. So I try to keep it just super simple. In terms of studying charts, I do like to study charts in the evening, and I'm usually looking at daily, weekly stuff, just keeping my eyes open for big picture patterns, which, again, maybe you get once a month per market, um, maybe. So 
um, the the homework should really be able to take just 30, 40 minutes, and then boom, you got to be out of there and do something else to refresh your mind. <laughs> Definitely. Yes. So as far as all this prep that you're doing with your levels and your formations, you're looking out, you know, mentioning the previous day's highs and lows. As a trader who's watching so many markets, what is that? I mean, does what does that allow you to do? And I'm gonna I'm gonna just take a stab at it. Um, I kind of already know. I mean, I would think that doing your homework after the market closes, prior to the next market, it gives you a one a game plan for what you think might unfold the following day. But two, and this is what I want our users to uh, be thinking about, is you have all this information in front of you now for the next trading session. And I would think that that would kind of free up your time to actually be watching the price action and what the market's doing at these levels, whether it's testing or, you know, pushing through. Um, is that kind of the biggest benefit to you for doing this homework in the evenings? I like doing my homework when the markets are closed. You'll always be the least biased for the next day. That's you a know, great it's point. very easy to get influenced when you sit there at night and you start watching the markets trade or you come in in the morning. You know, I find it's like taking a test with a number two lead pencil. Your first guess is going to be your best guess. And that's <laughs> really, and that's best done when the markets are closed. So that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is, yeah, for sure, you, you should not be doing analysis um, the next day when the markets are open. I am a big, um, you know, believer in the, the Taylor book that is sort of my Bible, Bible. and George Douglas Taylor will say, you, you come in fully prepared at the start of the trading day. You know, you are prepared and ready to trade on that opening bell because that's when the opportunities are um, or may be. And so you, you, during the trading day, you, you will trade best. Um, and this is really true for any sports or performance-oriented discipline. If you quit thinking, you know, <laughs> turn off the frickin' brain and don't think. Just concentrate. And uh, I think it's when you start thinking things that it starts to get muddled up. It is something that you get better and better at with time. If somebody's just starting out in the markets, I would suggest that every day they write down what they think the markets are going to do the next day and then just see how that unfolds. And if you do that day after day after day, you will see yourself get better and better and better. And you really only need to have it right 55% of the time because trust me you will know when you have it wrong so sure. to me that's the main benefit I'm so happy you mentioned that because I know uh, for myself when I first got into the industry I um, I thought that you know I I'm a smart guy. I thought I'd have relatively, you know, quick success. And what I've come to find with myself and other traders I work with is this takes, um, I think some people underestimate how long it actually takes to, you know, really get good as a trader. It's an exercise in concentration, Mick. The name of the game is, is concentration and focus. And People have to learn how to concentrate. I I know that sounds goofy, but it's um, it's a challenging thing when you've got televisions and blogs and Twitters and chat rooms and noise and, and talking and the internet and email and uh, all these variables that can creep in. Um, they don't allow a person to concentrate. And you watch any top person in their field. I mean, obviously, you know, the Tiger Woods of the world or the tennis players, you know, Serena Williams says she doesn't even hear anything when she's on the court. She can't hear the crowd. She can't hear planes flying overhead. That's how much she's concentrating. She has everything 100% tuned out. And that's what it is, you know, with professional trading is that learning to concentrate. And I've got a great quote for you. Um, I wrote it down. Because this is really important. Oh, you know, Ray I love... Knight, the former okay. baseball player. Concentration is the ability to think about absolutely nothing when it's absolutely necessary. <laughs> right? Much easier said than done. That's for sure. Um, I well, it just it's concentration is a muscle. The more you practice it, the stronger it's going to get. 
True. I'm happy you mentioned that. Yes. Thank you. I remember when we were working together, you traded on different time frames. And I, I remember, I'd like to bring up, you know, the kind of, the you had at the time we were working together, what you called three different profit centers. First one being shorter time frame S&P trades. Second profit center, multi-day trades. I think, you know, is anywhere from one to a few days. And then the, high, uh, the third profit center being much higher time frame trades where those are much more scarce over the you know course of the year, being able to find those in any given market. Um, so question for you, being a trader who trades on many different time frames, how important is it to be able to define a, tr uh, a trade prior to the entry? Let's go back with the S&Ps. That's the shortest time frame. I mean, you can always find a place to make two or three easy scalps or trades a day. And for me, I try to keep that as technical as possible. Um, it's, it's the reason why you can trade the E-minis um, in a different manner that you could trade the currencies or the grains or, um, you know, the bonds is because the E-minis, the index futures, have a bigger length of line. And what that means is if you unkinked it, you know, you can you can see how the market generally trades in zigzags throughout the day. And if you if that was a string and you pulled it tight and unkinked all those zigzags, that's called the length of the line. So there's a lot more play in the S&Ps and reversion to the mean opportunities than there are in most other markets most of the time. Of course, you always can have two or three trend days a month in any market, but the E-minis lend themselves to having a lot more back and forth play. So when I'm trading the E-minis, I have a general idea like this morning coming in. I wanted to still buy morning weakness, even though I thought that we would sell off because we've been low to high for several days and had, um, you know, some divergences on the hourly charts, that type of stuff. Um, so I I know that, you know, I'll, I'll first have a short trade if I catch it, if I'm feeling confident or on that flush down, there's going to be a buy opportunity because there's still a an uptrend in place. And um, I was watching for that hourly moving average. So when you start to get close to that, you've got an idea if you want to be a buyer or a seller, you start to get close to that. I can focus in on you could you could watch five minute charts, three minute charts. I personally like three or four thousand tick charts. Mm -hmm. um, and you may want to use an oscillator. You may not. Some people are good at watching the ticks. Um, some people are good at tape reading. I usually do it with tape reading around, you know, the areas where I feel like the market's starting to get a little bit overextended. And I'm I'm sure that every um trader out there that trades indices loves when you can find buy and sell divergences to initiate on. I just find that those show up a little bit better in like 10,000, 20,000 tick charts, those types of things. So that's the S&Ps. And the way I trade those, I don't do that style in any other market. The rest of the stuff is can I see profit center two, as you might say, can I get the trend for the day right? For example, coming into today, crude oil had what I call a three bar breakout formation. I and that looks like well. a little triangle. It's where the high of the of the bar is below the two day high and the low of the bar is above the two-day low. It, I mean, it was also an inside bar or narrow range, all that kind of stuff, you know, and we had a trend day down. So that would be a case where get the main idea right and uh, hold it for the day. But, you know, I mean, it could have come out the upside. You don't know. I mean, I, it, yeah, I just have to keep an open mind, and then when it starts uh, making – successive uh, lower lows or you can see an increase in momentum in one direction or another. I mean, there's lots of ways you can frame out these trades. Um, 
that would be a case where I would put on a position and then look to hold it overnight. I may take it off at the end of the day, but by keeping that mentality, hold it overnight, it's going to help you stay with the trend throughout the day if it's a good breakout and it was Definitely. instead of you know instead of thinking you're a genius and making three little bear flag scalps and even trying to make counter trend scalps you can you can scalp you know for sure and pick off 10 ticks 20 ticks 30 ticks here but the crude oil was down 242 ticks <laughs> right right i you um know? I, I want to uh, let me cut in and just tell our users how important uh, that breakout formation that uh, Linda was mentioning. Um, I got a smile on my face this morning as crude oil continued to sell off after the inventories uh, release because coming into today, I did notice that it was breakout mode, and sure enough, you know the breakout mode played out. Um, so that that was fun to watch, especially knowing that I was going to have you, you know, come on and get to speak with you a little bit. I wondered if you. Were we're going to bring it up. <laughs> well, you opened the door, Mick, so. <laughs> but, but, you know, um, that aside, there's that's probably one of, of maybe eight or nine different patterns that I would keep in my arsenal. A lot of them are triggered off of a two-period rate of change. Mick knows that. I mean, rock. you can see if you've been in an uptrending channel – Let's say you have multiple low to high days and you get one high to low day. Um, that'll always set up a buy the next day if it's, you know, in a market that's making new highs. So there's uh, very simple little concepts, but those would be the types of things that would be in one day, out the next day. I'm always thinking of holding them overnight. It doesn't mean that I do. But by that mentality, it, it keeps you pushing with the trend uh, throughout the day, unless there's super light volume. And, and, you know, usually if we've just made a big standard deviation move, like, for example, gold and silver and copper and all these markets had very, very strong trends. Um, and, and usually what happens after that is that you go through at least 10 trading days of, of just rotation um i don't know if mick remembers i had a fellow that worked for me nigel and he would call it railroad tracks up one day down one day up one day down one day so when you start to get those consolidation modes you don't really necessarily want to hold stuff overnight just be glad if you grabbed something during the day right and then lastly the the third profit center what you were referring to is where Perhaps there's a weekly cell divergence um, or a, a breakout from a four-week triangle on the dailies. And that stuff is, is stuff that I don't use the same way on the S&Ps or that profit center too. So they are each sort of a different um, type of game that you are playing. And, and you're right, Mick. I mean, you just don't get those trend moves more than maybe twice a year per market. Yeah, very scarce, unfortunately, because there is a lot of opportunity when you do catch one of those. You know, I think you'll know you'll have a, a large fish on the line. Yep. So thanks for going through the profit centers. Um, one question that um, I had for you in the past when we were working together, and I know a lot of our users will uh, have hearing, you know, how you do, you know, a few uh, some S and P scalps during the day, um, which actually I want to go back to. You mentioned stretching the line and how S and Ps uh, are one of the only markets, or the, the equities are one of the only markets where you can um, find multiple scalps throughout the day because of the up and down movement and sometimes a regression to the mean. Would you say that's a characteristic of a deep market, high volume market, high participation? Um, no, not necessarily. I mean, deep could be used multiple ways. But for example, with the bonds, I mean, that's a super deep market, um, you know, in terms of the size on the bid and ask. And uh, I mean, you've got a lot of market participants in the credit markets, but I don't think you would say they had the same type of play that you have in the S&Ps. Okay, thanks for clarifying that. Um, someone as a individual trader who does have three profit centers 
how did you build up these profit centers over the course of your trading career? When I first started trading, I used to get these SMR charts mailed to me, and I would update them by hand and plot the oscillator on the bottom. That was for the stocks that I was trading because um, I was a market maker in the equity options, and we didn't have computers. We didn't have uh, charting software programs like you do now. So that's where I, I really got in tune with, the, with those daily swings and the daily divergences and uh, that type of thing. Um, so, you know, that that was a pretty good roadmap to have, even though when you're on the trading floor, I was in the options pit, you know, you, you're always building a position around those, but the actual little trades are uh, very dependent on the order flow. Um, I started trading the S&Ps like the very first day they were listed. I, I remember, I believe they were below 200. I don't even remember. It's either below 200 or below, maybe it was like around 187 or I'd have to look it up, but it was really <laughs> low back then, you know, and I remember I, I, I uh, flipped uh, a, a big S&P contract for like three ticks and uh, then I, w I was hooked. So um, that was very much during the trading day, there were always three main swings, if you will, or turning points. That's how I would break it down in my mind. For example, the market could rally up off the opening price into uh, the time that everybody goes to lunch. Then, you know, you'd have an hour consolidation or an hour and a half reaction down so the specialists could buy back the inventory they sold. And then you could rally back up into the afternoon and push to a higher high. So you would have an upward-looking zigzag in that case. Mm -hmm. Or you could open, you could, you could flush down, you know, come back up to the opening price, rally, and then sell back down uh, off that rally high. So that would be, you know, like a doji type of day. Uh, but again, you still had two nice turning points. And so I was using the ticks uh, a lot as um, my timing tool and, and trying to draw it out by hand because, again, I didn't have a computer, you know. Yeah. And um, – so I did that for probably six or seven years trading the S&Ps. I traded the S&Ps for about seven years while I was still an options market maker before I started looking at that Taylor stuff, and um, which I think was more around 87, maybe 90, 87, 89 that I came across that book. So um, – I would say the whole process took a minimum of 10 years. And even then, it was like 20 years later, I was still refining, um, for example, Mick, you know, the extended runs, that Absolutely. type of, of uh, research and, you know, just always building on things. So I would suggest if someone were starting off that they would expect to take three years to develop what I would call a bread and butter trade, mm -hmm. um, trading one market well, or could be trading one style well. By style, I mean, for example, a volatility breakout system is a fabulous way to learn multiple markets because you're just doing one thing. You're executing when that range expansion is hit and it's a concrete system that gives you rules where do you enter where's your stop where do you exit it's black and white um for example crude went short today on the volatility breakout system um but only one out of ten trades is going to be like that you will learn numbers statistics in terms of you can make 100 trades and still end up flat. It's a very aggravating thing, but you also learn the power of 
what you are capturing and, and and that system will be profitable every single year it's just a lot of work it's a lot of work and a lot of noise so that's what i mean by if you spent two to three years just specializing in a volatility breakout system you will learn a lot you'll have a heck of an education it's a ton of work and you will be such a better trader at the end of three years or if you did nothing but the S&Ps and market profile type of intraday uh, day trading you would be such a better trader after three years then after you've done that you can either start looking at adding another strategy looking at you know equity options or a momentum game or whatever you want but if you try to do too many things at once i promise you you're you're going to overwhelm yourself there's so much noise in the market you're going to make errors you're going to get whipsaws you're going to have self doubts it's um really going to be counterproductive sure. kind of a jack of all trades master of none you are not even going to be able to be a jack of all trades. You're going to be a jackass. <laughs> I, you know, you mentioned the volatility breakout system, and you know, you know where your entry is, you know where your exit is. Uh, if you're right, and your exit is where your exit is. If you're wrong, one of the questions I have written down was um, whether it's the S and P scalping, um, trying to catch the trend for the day or one of the longer time frame trades that are rare that we come across, do you always know where you're getting out if you're wrong prior to putting a trade on? Well, with a, with a system like the volatility breakout system, absolutely you do. Um, it depends just a little bit on the market because – some markets are thinner, so you have to give them a little bit more play. Um, and you sometimes you have an idea, okay, here's a support level. Maybe it's just a little bit below where you bought. Maybe it's a lot lower below where you bought. Um, you, you, you should have an idea of where you're going to be wrong. You know, mm -hmm. do you always get out at that exact spot? No, not necessarily. Sometimes it just doesn't feel right right after you put it on and I'll hit flat. And other times it's like it goes down and I'm like, oh, I wish I did have a hard stop in there, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, um, it, it, you know, it, it kind of depends on how much you got going on. If, if you've got markets spread off against each other, which I don't do so much, uh, but I have done a little bit in the past. Um, sometimes if, if one market's working, I'll give another market a little bit more room, but that, that's for longer, that's for longer term positions, okay. you know? So, uh, usually if you're short term trading, you should be very technical. I would say the short, the more short term you are, the more technical you should be, meaning, um, you, you need to be precise on your entries and exits. Yeah, and I um, I had before we did the interview, I was reading up on your uh, interview in the New Markets Wizard book with Jack Schwager, and you had stressed the importance of entry location. Yeah, yeah, it you know, keep in mind in those days we did not have the volatility that we have now. You were also having to phone your order down to the pits, so. You know, yeah. Uh, you know, entries are not as important when you got the wind behind your back. Okay, so for example, let's say crude oil. You can see halfway through its move that it's really trending. The volume's there. The impulse is there. It's making new momentum lows, um, and it does a small pause. There's no reason why you can't jump in and put on a short trade there because it's it's clearly not going to spike back up in your face when it had that kind of volume and momentum. So you shouldn't say to yourself, oh, boy, you know, I missed the breakout. I missed the sell. Therefore, I'm just going to let the trade go. You know, when there's volume, everything's easy. <laughs> you know, when it's when you're in a trading range in the middle of a range that your trade location becomes a lot more important, you know, because otherwise 
it's too easy to get shaken out and your stop point is going to have to be much wider. Um, for example, like the gold and silver and these, you know, copper and some of these markets that are just rotating and being choppy. Um, those would be the types of markets you'd have to be a little bit more conscientious about patiently waiting for your trade location spot as opposed to a momentum environment where you can just jump on board. Okay. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you for diving into that a little bit more and, you know, kind of straightening out my question there. Um, next thing I want to talk about is one of the most impressionable things I learned from you was about respecting the higher time frame and how the higher time frames in charge. People call it the top down approach. Um, pending you still feel that way, which I think you do. Um, can you talk about why the top-down approach would be so important to a trader, even if they're just day trading? Well, it's what gives you your context. So, for example, if I just came in and I was doing nothing but looking at a five-minute S&P chart, I might not recognize that the previous day had been a huge range day and today was going to be more uh, of a rotation day mm -hmm. and you're going to trade a rotation consolidation day much differently than you would a day where it's a range expansion day. Right. <clears throat> so the first thing is it really puts it into context and I'm not going to be able to judge if it's got potential to be a low to high day or a high to low day just off five minute charts. I really need to look at something like a 120 minute or a, a daily candle, that type of thing. Definitely, definitely. And I know there's, um, you know, and I was one of those traders when I first started out looking at five minute charts and I, I didn't pay too much attention to the higher time frame. I kind of wanted the instant gratification if I was right on, you know, a certain move on the shorter time frame. But um, I, I, the way I describe it to traders now, I always try and get traders to be conscious of the higher time frame. And the way my kind of analogy is if you're only looking at a shorter time frame chart you're really just looking at the the market under a microscope and you're missing the bigger picture you miss those you miss those price levels like um you know previous days high and previous days low if you aren't conscious of the higher time frame you're not going to be aware of whether or not we're testing a certain level like that or we're running through a certain level like that to see expand you know price expansion to the upside or the downside um, so I'm glad you mentioned, you know, the, the top-down approach gives you context. I mean, overall, what's the bigger picture? Are we going up, down, or sideways? Well, it's not just context. The lower the time frame you go down to, the higher the noise level. So right. that's why nobody really makes a living off of five-minute charts, in all honesty. You can make a scalp off five-minute charts. I've yet to see one person make a uh, pay their rent and their mortgage or, you know, on a monthly basis trading off five-minute charts. It's just too much noise. I mean, you, you'll make a great trade and feel like a genius, and then you'll have a, a lousy trade. So. Yeah, or the next several trades will be lousy trades. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, they're, you know, it's very deceptive if people post chart examples and you get these educators that are very guilty of that and they cherry pick you know one or two uh, examples and the fact of the matter is I mean you could pick any market today that had lighter volume and uh, wow you know just a lot of noise and whipsaws and you know these classic bull flags you know you might only get one out of 30 you know little swings and dings that looks like a, a really good bull flag you're just gonna right. get Sod. Speaking of um, little bull flags, one story I wanted to share with the traders was uh, when we were trading together and uh, watching the markets, I don't remember which product it was, but I remember mentioning to, and this ties into the higher time frame being in charge. I mentioned something to you. I was like, oh, Linda, look at this. You know, it's a beautiful bull flag on the five minute or 15 minute or something like that. And instantly you, you were watching the same market, but instantly you go, look at the 120 minute. And sure enough, on the 120 minute, it looked like a beautiful bear flag. And, um, you know, over the course of time, you know, I, I saw that and I was like, oh, you know, she's right. Higher time frame. But this beautiful bull flag on the five or 15 minute that I saw just completely failed. And the 120 minute bear flag that you had noticed and pointed out to me completely played out and that was that was one example 
of something we had, uh, an experience we shared that has been ingrained in my mind. And it was kind of, you know, it was kind of funny. I always think about that now, too. Speaking of the higher time frame, our traders here, Top Step Traders, they're day, fra- they're day traders. Um, they're, you know, out of the markets before the close. I do try and get people to look at and not just be aware of, but maybe try and make trades off the higher time frame. What kind of advice do you have for a trader that's trying to focus on the higher time frame or someone trying to move from a lower time frame to a higher time frame? Do you have any advice for someone in that position? Yeah, I just I think that you're overcomplicating it. I mean, you can do fine day trading, but it's but you're not doing it off five minute charts. You know, you are you're looking at the trend for the day and and it should it be a low to high day or should it be a high to low day if you happen to see a time frame that gives you an easy entry where you can see a support or a resistance level or a little divergence or the market sometimes what it'll do is it'll have one leg up you know if it's a if it's an impulse to the upside you know if it's going to be a low to high day it'll make its initial leg and then it has a pause and it gives that second leg you know kind of the abc formation so there's nothing wrong with waiting until a market's ripe for that c leg and that's really independent of time frames. I mean, it could show up on a three-minute, a 15-minute, a five-minute. Everything's a very holistic type of feeling. So uh, don't be so locked into you know, this time frame dependency. Think more about conceptually what is the market doing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good way to, to you know, then say, okay, here's the context of it. That's great advice. Um, you know, you mentioned the trend for the day. I would think that, and I, I want to hear your um, opinion on this. I would think for day traders, um, they're going to make their bones catching uh, not the full trend for the day. You know, you can you're never going to play it all accurately and buy the low and sell the high. But I think the real money for day traders is made catching a piece of the trend for the day as opposed to trying to be right, uh, you know, on the right side of the market long or short throughout the day 20 or so times. Yeah, a day trader just needs like one or one to three trades a day. You know, a day trader's job is not to piss it away after they've made it. <laughs> you <laughs> right. know, that's usually what happens is day traders get a little caught up into over trading and um so you have to be discriminating and uh you know very patient and only wait for the uh, the choice of setups or the markets that have the highest volume or if you're just trading one market like the e-minis you know um i think that people have found it very helpful in the last uh, 7 or 8 years to uh be aware of these market profile concepts that jim dalton book mind over markets he mm-hmm. breaks it down into uh stottlemyer's framework of having you know a neutral day a normal day you know do we open test reject you know do we open trend do we open rotate um and so I think if you're just trading for the day, those are exceptionally valuable tools. And and again, they're not time frame dependent. They're, uh, you, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, you are pretty much a you're, you're a technical analyst. Um, you're you take trades based off of your technical um, you know analysis. Um, and you had once mentioned to me that the fundamentals play out in the technicals. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Well, the fundamentals are what are the main driver for a very long time horizon. So fundamentals do have place in the markets, in particularly when it comes to investing. Um, and for me, the main driving fundamentals are going to be things like um, monetary measurements, how much cash is on the sidelines, you know, what are the money flows, the, you know, the, the, this type of data, but it's not going to influence my trading. It's just a mm-hmm. recognition of why the market's moving like it is. You can also look at uh, things like um, the crude oil, for example, today, initially the fundamentals showed a larger than expected draw, okay, but 
then gasoline usage was down. You know, I mean, it's like yeah. how you want to twist it. And, you know, the data for the crude numbers is actually data that's from last week. It's old data. I don't know if people know that. You know, you get this Wednesday number, but the number's from the end of last week. And, you know, the big boys know it's it could already be discounted or priced into the market. So that's why more often than not, whatever the data is for the crude, it means nothing. You right. Know? I don't I don't think that very many many traders out there do know that. And uh, it makes me think about um, those Wednesdays and Thursdays when we were sitting next to each other. We would um, you know, we'd be waiting for the 930 central time uh, EIA report or the nat gas storage. And um, we always got a kick out of it because a bullish number would come out on the uh, the crude inventories and the market would sell off and continue selling off. And this obviously didn't happen every time, but, you know, a lot of times it was just kind of a wild card. And I remember sitting there watching crude oil, bearish number comes out, the market rallies, nat gas, bullish number comes out, the market breaks. And I remember us getting a kick out of that, you know. Right, right. I mean, most of, you know, when I was on the trading floor, most of the traders are, you know, fade the news because it's going to drive it to a, you know, overshoot or undershoot or people, people get very reactive. So um, they're not favorable, advantageous prices. But um, I would just say that every trader I know who makes a living is technical. You know, they're technical in some way. I don't know of anybody that's uh, trading off of fundamentals and unless you're, you know, a billion dollar macro fund or something. Sure. Maybe maybe spreading the grains or something like that. Um, but awesome. I'm happy you mentioned all of that to us. And we are back. Cool, cool, cool. One of the first things Linda mentions is preparation, a very important aspect of beginning the trade day. Now, she points out how important it is getting yourself ready with market data and keeping your focus. Eddie, I'm a really firm believer in fine-tuning your mindset before you even turn on your computers in the morning. And one thing that Linda mentions is journaling what you think the markets will do the next day as a main benefit for success. This is really important. Uh, this is when we have a clear, unbiased, uh, well, I shouldn't say unbiased. This is when we just have a clear picture to look at. There's no price action at the time. The markets are closed. Let's look and see what the markets have done during the day today and apply that to where they're coming from and what they've done in the past. It's it's having it's simply having a game plan for the next day. You're coming up with your game plan, your strategy. You know your opponents, the market, have a game plan. Even if your game plan is to not touch a certain market. Mick, one of the market actions Linda talked about was a breakout mode. And you mentioned one of your favorites. She did say yep. she had an arsenal. I love that word, arsenal. Arsenal of market actions uh, that she does look for during her trade day. Was this something she taught you? And if it was, can you elaborate on that? It was. And she certainly has an arsenal of market actions to take. The breakout mode was a very important one, um, mainly because the breakouts are powerful. If you are breaking out, there's a real chance, if you're breaking out of some chart formation, there's a real chance for continuation. And when we've got continuation in the market, whether you're in already and it's moving in your favor or you're jumping on board to catch a piece of that trend, those are really powerful. And, you know, when the markets are moving, we as small traders, the markets are huge. And even if you're a large trader in the scheme of the market itself, you're a small fish. So what we want to do is find a find a place to be positioned, whether the market goes up or down, and really ride the coattails out of, you know, the big boys out there who are going to push the market around, up or down. You mentioned coattails. That, that was one of the things that you saw daily, and a lot of the locals would watch for these bigger firms coming in with size, and they'd sort of catch the wave and ride it as far as they could. And get out of the trade and say, thank you very much. <laughs> sort of the wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. <laughs> Only if it was that easy. It, you know, but it, yes, it happened. It happens, right. It happened. So one really important part of this interview was to do your homework after the markets close yeah. and keep yourself sharp, not only with the markets, but with education as well. This kind of thing can't happen overnight. And Linda did say that it takes some real time just to get your bread and butter trade. You know, bread and butter meaning 
your style, your strategy, your 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 winning strategy. All right. You know, Mick, that's very important because sometimes traders are just sort of trading the fashionable market. You know, maybe a friend's trading it or, you know, a lot of people uh, when they come in the chat or in the broadcast, they ask, you know, um, what's everybody trading here? You know, mm -hmm. that question has been asked hundreds of times. And uh, the thing is, you've got to find a market that can coincide with your character. You know, if you're sort of uh, uh, fast-paced, uh, you're, you're going to want a faster market. You're not going to want a slower market because it's just going to be boring. And then vice versa. And also a trading style. Okay. You need one trading style that uh, you know intimately that works for you. And uh, you need to stay with that. And uh, you need to stay on that road. Yeah, it's really important. There are a lot of trading styles out there. And uh, for people who are hungry to learn more and get better, um, all those trading styles can almost be detrimental because you want to you wanna learn one, one of them, then learn another, learn another, learn another. Now you've got all these trading styles. They don't always mesh together. So finding what's, like you said, is in tune with your personality is really important. And um, like you mentioned, people are asking, what are you trading? What are you trading? Well, a lot of people will change what they're trading based off of volatility in the markets. Volatility creates, you know greater risk, greater reward, but opportunities come from volatility. So some people do bounce around. It's nice when you can find one trading strategy that you can apply to multiple markets. I, I, I totally agree. You, know, you need to learn how to walk before you learn how to run. Now, that sounds pretty corny, but it, it's so true to life. But, you know, being honest, that's how it works. Mick, I just want to say that was really enjoyable. I, I, I wish we had some more time and topics we could talk about with Linda. Well, as a matter of fact, yeah. we do. We do. And we're going to, yes, we do. And awesome. we're going to be posting part two of my interview with Linda very soon. So stay tuned and keep an eye out for our next podcast with Linda Rashke. Fantastic. Now, when are you posting part two? Patience, Grasshopper. Patience. <laughs> <laughs> now you got me. <laughs> good, good. I'm glad I did. And I hope we got many more listeners, too. Um, so tune in to our next Limit Up podcast. All right. Thank you, Mick, for joining us on this educational interview. Eddie, thanks a lot for having me. All right, traders. As always, thanks for spending time with us. If you enjoyed this interview, please feel free to leave us a rating or review. It helps us reach new traders. And until next time, take care, everybody. We'll see you. My pleasure. Thanks for everything. Bye-bye. Futures and Forex trading contains substantial risk and is not for every investor. An investor could potentially lose all or more than their initial investment. Risk capital is money that can be lost without jeopardizing one's financial security or lifestyle. Only risk capital should be used for trading, and only those with sufficient risk capital should consider trading. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results.